It has stood the test of time. God's book, the Bible, still relevant in today's complex world. It is written, sharing messages of hope around the world. Buddha, Krishna, Muhammad, Jesus. Are these men just different manifestations of the one God? Or is there a substantive difference between them? Is there a way that we can determine if these are just different manifestations of the one God? Or do one of them actually fulfill the claims that are made about him? As we have studied, we have developed a criteria to answer the question of God's existence. In brief, what we discovered is that truth and certainty can be determined through probabilities. Simply put, if an event has a probability of occurring only once in 10 to the power of 50, which is one with 50 zeros after it, that event is statistically impossible to occur. And that event becomes even more impossible as the probabilities become smaller and smaller. But here's what's been amazing, truly astounding, is that we have studied the issue of God's existence and God has defied impossible probabilities to demonstrate decidedly that he exists. When applying statistical probability to the major world religions, we found that in spite of the claims that each of these religions and philosophies and what they make about themselves, only the Old and New Testament scriptures challenge us to test the claims that the Bible makes. And that test is through prophecy. The Bible's claims have been demonstrated to be true and accurate over and over again. This book can be trusted. Our study has focused on the book of Daniel. The prophecies outlined in Daniel, which foretell many of the world events, cannot be explained as pure chance or just good luck. Now, last week we discovered that the longest time prophecy in the Bible pointed to the cleansing of the heavenly sanctuary in 1844. So today we ask additional questions. How do we know that Christ is real? How do we know that the sanctuary in heaven is real and that the activities of Christ in the heavenly sanctuary are real? In order to answer those questions, first we need to ask, who is the Christ? Many religious leaders have made bold claims, but the claim to be Christ, Messiah, Savior of this earth, is a very bold statement. Jesus, according to the Bible, was in a heated discussion with the Jewish religious leaders, and in John chapter 8 and verse 56, he stated these words, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw and was glad. The Jewish religious leaders responded to this statement by saying, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? In John 8, 58, Jesus responds by saying, 
most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, friends, this was a bold claim. In Exodus 3.14, God introduced himself to Moses as the great I am, the eternal, self-existent one whose life is original, unborrowed, and underived. In claiming this very title, Jesus was stating in no uncertain terms that he was and is divine, the promised one, the Messiah, the Christ. The Jewish leaders understood this clearly, and that is why they picked up stones to throw at him and stone him. You know, when we look at the other major founders of the world religions, we do find that they make some claims. Although there is no single founder of Hinduism, the highest claim of the founders was that of a sage, someone noted and respected for his knowledge, integrity, and piety. Regarding Islam, Muhammad was called the seal of the prophets. He is considered the final prophet whose words could not be disputed. Gautama Buddha claimed to be the super-enlightened one. He achieved his apparent enlightenment after a six-year search while under a ficus tree in India. And with even an elementary and cursory glance at these claims, it reveals an infinite distance between the claim that Jesus made and the claims of every other religious leader. The Hindu sages formed a philosophy in order to show the way to ultimate truth. Buddha stated, for enlightenment I was born, for the good of all that lives. Muslims state that the Quran is the infallible word of God revealed to the prophet Muhammad. But Jesus stated these words, I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. My dear friends, it's one thing to say, I can show you the light, but it's altogether something different to say, I am the light. Those who make these kinds of claims to be God, to be the way, to be the light, they are either lunatics, liars, megalomaniacs, or in fact, they are what they claim to be, God. Now, when we picture in our minds a lunatic, we see deluded individuals whose thoughts are disjointed and who keep flitting from one absurd scene to another. This seems impossible to reconcile in regards to Jesus with what some refer to as the greatest sermon ever preached, a reference to the Sermon on the Mount. When we look at Jesus and judge the charge of being a liar, his entire life was comprised of transparency, honesty, and truthfulness. And to the question, tell us, are you the Son of God? The question posed to Jesus by the Sanhedrin during his trial, Jesus answered truthfully, knowing full well that the consequences would mean certain death for him. In fact, at one point in his ministry, he challenged his accusers to convict him of one sin. Yet they could not. They could not find one sin against him. He was above reproach. My friends, Jesus wasn't a lunatic and he wasn't a liar. Was he a megalomaniac? 
Now, some of you are saying, what is that word? Megalomania is the symptom of having delusions of greatness. I don't believe history records any examples of megalomaniacs washing the feet of their followers. And that's what Jesus did. Although he claimed divinity, he was humble like a servant. My friends, there is only one logical conclusion. Jesus is God. Yet some people try to state that he was simply a a good man or a great man, a prophet, but not God. Yet, friends, this doesn't make any sense. Because if he's not God, as he claimed to be, then he's not a good man at all. In fact, C.S. Lewis perfectly summed up the futility of those who try to suggest that Jesus was simply a good man, but not God. In his book, Mere Christianity, on pages 40 to 41, he states, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make a choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus claimed divinity. But there is one prophecy that puts such constraints on fulfillment that it could leave no mistake. It is the prophecy of Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. Let's turn our attention to study these verses and see if it enlightens us any more on these claims of Jesus. Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27 state the following. Seventy weeks are decreed for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince There shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. And after 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. 
Now, in last week's show, we discovered that the starting place for this prophecy is 457 B.C. If you missed that show, feel free to go to our website, itiswrittencanada.ca, and there you can find our archived programs. But 457 B.C. is the year that the command was given to restore and build Jerusalem. Now, there are other notable details that are contained in this most remarkable prophecy. Here's the question. Will these details legitimize the claims of Jesus' divinity? Now, Daniel states that from the going forth of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to Messiah the Prince, there would be 69 weeks. 69 times 7, that equals 483 days or 483 years. Now, the word Messiah is the Greek equivalent of Christos. It means the anointed one. Now, the book of Daniel here is announcing that the Messiah would be anointed exactly 483 years after the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem. Now, when we add 483 years to 457, which is kind of like a negative number because the year after 457 would be 456, we come to 27 AD. Now, some of you doing the math right now are saying, wait, 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 wait. I get 26 when I do my math. Well, that would be right under normal math circumstances. However, we have a problem. In normal math, zero is included in the number scale. But when measuring years, there is no year zero. So years went from 1 BC to 1 AD. There was no year zero. So therefore, we need to skip year zero by adding one to the year, and that brings us to 27 AD. So did anything remarkable happen in 27 AD? I'll tell you, interestingly enough, in the Gospel of Luke, Dr. Luke records an interesting fact. In Luke 3.1, he says, Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. Now why do I find the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar interesting? Well, it just so happens that the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar is 27 A.D., but that by itself is not interesting. Why is it interesting? Well, just a few verses later in the Bible, Luke records in Luke 3, 21 to 22, this historical event. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. The Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven, which said, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Jesus was baptized in 27 AD, the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar. Now this is critical because Acts chapter 10 and verse 38 speaks of Jesus being anointed. Listen to these words, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Jesus was anointed at his baptism in 27 AD. He was anointed as Messiah right on time. Jesus himself referred to this time period in the book of Daniel when he, in Mark 1.15, stated these words after his baptism. The time is fulfilled 
and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Right on time. Yet this prophecy is 70 weeks of years, 490 years. This only takes us 483 of those years. What happens with those final seven years? Now, Daniel informs us that the Messiah's ministry would only last about half of that final week, that final seven years, approximately three and a half years. The prophecy states that in the middle of that last week, the Messiah would bring an end to the sacrificial system by the sacrifice of himself, thereby confirming the covenant. In other words, he would be cut off. But his voluntary sacrifice would not be for himself. Instead, as Daniel informs us in Daniel 9, 24, he would finish the transgression, make an end of sins, and make reconciliation for iniquity and bring in everlasting righteousness, seal up the vision and prophecy, and anoint the heavenly sanctuary. In other words, he would make this great sacrifice in order to provide salvation and righteousness to you and to me. Three and a half years after the baptism of Jesus in 27 AD brings us to 31 AD. Jesus was crucified in 31 AD, fulfilling all that the Bible predicted, all of it, right on time. Those final three and a half years bring us to the end of the 70-week prophecy, and that ending is in 34 AD. It, does anything remarkable happen in 34 AD? Well, in fact, in 34 AD, the Sanhedrin executed Stephen for his belief that Jesus was the promised Messiah. Daniel stated that the 70 weeks or 490 years were allotted for Daniel's people and for the city of Jerusalem. In other words, with the stoning of Stephen in 34 AD, a probationary period of time ended for Daniel's people because they rejected the Messiah. In the parable of the vineyard found in Matthew 21, 33 to 46, Jesus informed the religious leaders that on account of the great sin they were about to commit by putting him to death, the kingdom of God would be taken from them and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And with it, Israel as a nation was no longer God's chosen people. All of it happening on time. Now, in addition, Daniel tells us that the city and the sanctuary would be destroyed by the abomination of desolation. Friends, in AD 70, the Roman armies under Titus destroyed both city and sanctuary. Jesus himself predicted in Matthew 24, 2, that there would be not one stone left on another in the temple. It would be thrown down. Friends, Daniel revealed almost a half a millennia before the events occurred, the arrival of the anointed one, the Messiah, the great I am. The exact year of Christ's anointing at his baptism, 27 AD was revealed, that Jesus' ministry would last three and a half years, that he would be cut off for our sins, and that this, this sacrifice would bring an end to the sacrificial system. 
and that the sanctuary and the city would be destroyed. Dear friends, we don't have to wonder how in the world all of these specific predictions ever came true by chance. No, no, no. They never could have been by chance. They were fulfilled by the divinely orchestrated plan of God. And here are the ramifications. This means that Buddha, Krishna, Muhammad, Jesus, and others who would claim to be great religious leaders are not just manifestations of the one God. No, my friends, Jesus' claim to be the eternal one is verified by one of the most amazing prophecies of the entire Bible. This amazing book has connected the claims of Christ with the prophecies of the Bible. Friend, there is no other book on the face of this earth that can do that. And this is why Jesus himself would say in John 14, 29, and now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. You can believe, friend, that Jesus is the one. The prophecy of Daniel 9, 24 to 27 sets the seal on Christ's claim of divinity. But what about this heavenly sanctuary? How is it possible to affirm the reality of heavenly things without having the capability to examine them? Now remember, when we studied the dream of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 2, we noted that this one prophecy connected events that began with Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, the 10 divisions of Rome, and finally ending with the second coming of Christ as the rock that struck the image on its feet. All of those events, with the exception of the second coming of Christ, are completely verifiable from history. But because the second coming is connected to the rest of the prophecy, but has not yet occurred, we can believe that it will happen on the basis of the other pieces being fulfilled. To deny the reality of the second coming of Christ, well, we would also have to deny the rise and fall of the nations and events that are based on the same prophecy. And dear friends, when you think about it, that would not be logical. You see, logic is based on the laws of probability and says that we can know with certainty that Christ will come based on the fulfillment of the other events of Daniel 2. And so it is in a similar way that the 70-week prophecy that points to the baptism, the crucifixion of Christ, which was all cut off from the 2300-day prophecy about the cleansing of the sanctuary that began in 1844. Now, since this is one prophecy running through Daniel 8 and 9, demonstrating the reality of Jesus Christ as the eternal one with the reality of Christ as the real presence in the real heavenly sanctuary, we can with assurance believe there is a sanctuary in heaven where Jesus is. To declare that the heavenly sanctuary is not real, friends, that would be tantamount to declaring that Jesus Christ himself is not real. You know, it's interesting to note that on one hand, atheism declares that there is no heaven and thus no sanctuary. Yet on the other hand, many Christians, beginning with the early and medieval church, declare that God and heaven should be interpreted on the basis of Greek philosophy, which means that material structures in heaven, like the sanctuary, are meaningless metaphors and illustrations, not realities. 
Friends, that idea comes straight from the little horn and it declares that God cannot act within the sequence of past, present, and future and that he's incompatible with space and time, meaning that God doesn't want to have a real relationship. Friends, the consequences of this philosophy for spirituality, salvation, and worship are immense. Two worldviews that come essentially to the same conclusion. However, the Bible says that all of that is not so. The little horn's attempt at trivializing the reality of God would be overthrown by a real Christ who came to this real earth, became real flesh, really died for our sins, really resurrected after the third day, and really ascended to heaven to dwell in a real sanctuary working on our behalf. My dear friends, let us therefore, as Hebrews 12, 2 says, look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Friend, he will forgive you. He will cleanse you. He wants to write his word in your heart and mind. What will you do today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that Jesus is real. Thank you that your sanctuary is real. And thank you that you want to have a real relationship with each one of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, what a powerful thought. Jesus Christ, the eternal self-existent one, he's real, but more than that, he wants to have a real relationship with you. Today for the offer, I want to offer you a book called Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing. Now, this is a study on the Sermon on the Mount, which is different than our show. However, the Sermon on the Mount is all about having a practical, real experience, a real relationship with Jesus. You can get that book, and when you read that book, that book is going to touch your heart and help you to have a deeper relationship with Jesus. Now, in addition to that offer, I want to offer to you the full four-DVD set of Philosophy's Achilles Heel, 16 programs. You can have that DVD set for any size donation. Here's the information you need to receive the offers today. To request today's offer, just log on to www.itiswrittencanada.ca. That's www.itiswrittencanada.ca and select the TV program tab. For Canadian viewers, the offer will be sent free and postage paid. For viewers outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you prefer, you may call toll-free at 1-888-CALL-IIW. That's 1-888-CALL-IIW. Call anytime. Lines are open 24 hours daily. That's 1-888-CALL-IIW. Or if you wish, you may write to us at It Is Written, Box 2010, Oshawa, Ontario. 
L1H7V4. And thank you for your prayer requests and your generous financial support. Friends, our real Jesus who wants to have a real relationship with you. I'd invite you to go to our website. It is written Canada.ca. There you can find resources to help develop your spiritual life and keep up with what's happening with It Is Written. You can also like us on Facebook. Thank you so much for joining us. Join us again next week. Until then, remember, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God.